Everybody, I want to welcome you to our series of podcasts on conversations with authentic leaders. My name is David Irvin, and I want to welcome you all. For those of you who have been following me and know my work, understand that my passion and life's work is about uh, guiding and inspiring leaders to find their authentic self so that they can amplify their impact in the world so that they can amplify the difference that they make in the world. And I have met some amazing leaders in the course of my work in the leadership development field in the last 30 plus years. And it's a good fortune for me. I, I, what I wanted to do is, what I've been wanting to do is in, this, in these podcast series is to have conversations with these people that I have such respect for, leaders that are really making a difference in the world. What I call ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things, and I want to shine a light on the impact that they're, they're, they're bringing to the world. But my work really isn't about identifying what leaders do. There's many books about techniques and tools about leadership, but leadership really is too important in my mind, although many of these books are very useful. My work is around understanding how do leaders become. If you stop and reflect for a moment about the people who have impacted your life, then ask yourself a question. How did they evolve into a place that allowed them to make such impact? What was their story? What were their defining moments? What were their ordeals that they needed to overcome? that made them who they are today. And this is what I'm very passionate about. Now, for the past several years, I'm going to say about four years now, I've been working with a coach myself that has been very influential to me. His name is Larry Maslitz-Drabdowitz. And Larry introduced me to an amazing book that has impacted my life greatly. And the book that he introduced me to is called Answering Your Call by a man named John Schuster. And this is a guide for living your deepest purpose. And it was my study guide over the course of a couple of years that we worked together to extract and define my own life's purpose. And it has been extremely beneficial in my own evolution to clarify what's in and what's out. What is that call? So foundational, so foundational in this work of authenticity is to extract and listen to and answer that deeper voice. To turn off the, the voices of the world and to go inside and to really listen. What in your life is calling you? When all the lists are laid aside and the emails are laid aside and the demands and expectations of others are laid aside that we spend our lives so often engaged in, 
What do we really want written on our epitaph at the end of our life? And I am fortunate to have been introduced to John, both in his work and personally. And John, you and I have uh, not spent any time together. I don't know you well, but I, am I know you through your book, but we have not had conversations directly. And I am just so fortunate to have, and as all of us are, to have you join us today because of the impact that you've had and, and the authenticity that has come through so clearly in your work and your philosophy and approach to life and to leadership and to following your call uh, is so aligned with my work around authenticity. And it's just a privilege, and I'm so grateful that you would take time to have a conversation with me. So I'm going to kick this off by just simply starting to ask, ask you, John, tell me your take on why answering your call, why f finding your purpose is important in, your, in one's life. And what have you explored in terms of and, and understood in terms of why that's important? And where does, how does that speak to you? And what message would you like to get out into the world around answering your call? And uh, let, let's start there. And then I want to hear your story about what got you here and what were your defining moments and what made you who you are. So thank you so much, John, for joining us today. Pleasure to be here, David. Thanks for, thanks for making this happen. Can you give us a little bit of an idea of just what the whole notion of answering your call is all about? Sure, sure. Happy to, happy to give it a run. And you're right there. It's something I thought about for a long time, and I still think about, of course. So, I, I uh, in my own life, I was uh, always wondering. It, it had this had this nagging question of, is, you know, is this what I'm here for? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? It is whatever I'm doing with my work, in particular. It was it was work oriented at first because I knew I knew family was a worthy calling. That just being a good father or a good spouse or a good son or brothers, I knew that was uh, that was there for me to be. But I knew that I wasn't spending all my life there. I also had this thing called work, and so and work was where the lack of meaning uh, struck me the most. <clears throat> in my 20s and 30s, you know, constantly saying is, you know, is this, is it, and it sort of is, is this all there is, was the question, but is, is this really worthy of my best efforts, or do I want to work for this organization, or how do I turn my, my job into a career, and then my career into some kind of calling or vocation, that seems to be the sequence that people go through, I didn't have, didn't have that figured out at the time, but I knew that my job had, had to mean more than just earning a, earning a living. Even though that's a that there's there's dignity in that too, you know. There's a lot, there's a human dignity in, in all of our efforts if we if we approach it with our with the right heart and mind. So with that question, uh, finally, uh, I, I started my own business in my early 30s, and I kept uh, it was the leadership development and all the things that uh, I wanted to help organizations with, and so that eventually became something of a calling, which was. Oh, it seems like if I help people uh, get in closer in touch with who they are individually and their potential to lead and their potential to uh, make a positive impact in the world in whatever social venue they were in, whether it was education or business or whatever, that that was indeed a calling. So I, I got to help people 
aspire to be at their best and bring those aspirations, uh, ground that in real behavior and real interactions with others. And, uh, and so that's, that's what my personal journey towards meaning, David. It was very personally just how, how should I go about this? And then, of course, I, I did a lot of reading on the other people who had written about this very question. And, uh, and I tried to make sense out of what they had said, too, and, and took, took influential authors and said, okay, this is what I can apply from that. So, so that was my path. I hope that helps a little bit, describing uh, it, it, why it, I thought it was important. It does, John. Was, was there always a seed of yearning around uh, this work for you somehow, or was it somehow or other born in you uh, later in life? You seem to have had that urge to want to help people in some way from a very early age. Yeah, I, I would say it struck me as in my uh, in my Catholic education. You know, we were <laughs> we were taught that we're not we're not here for ourselves; we're here for others, and that life uh, needs to be lived from a set of values and and somehow advancing the human the human condition. And that wasn't about necessarily material progress, although that's certainly part of it for people who are in poverty, but it was all kinds of psychological and spiritual and relational capital that can be built. Capital, of course, being the, the word from an, an economic set of metaphors that may sometimes are unfortunately too prevalent in our culture, I think, but uh, there's lots of ways to build value in the world and to add value in the world. And, and so I started very early thinking about those questions. Uh, and it certainly wasn't the only set of questions. I had the typical young adult questions, of course, of what am I good at and can I make a living and can I succeed at something? Uh, so there are all the other practical questions of living a life. Um, you know, with a with a base of financial health and and career health and all that, but it was certainly that was that, that was behind a lot of what I a lot, a lot of what drove me for many many years is is this uh, and I'll just I'll just use the word worthy is this worthy of my best efforts and uh, frequently the answer was no probably not but it's good it's the best I could do right now <laughs> you know it, it, it was I always felt like an approximation uh, and. Uh, and sometimes not a very good approximation, but I try to find meaning in, in the things I was doing. And then uh, eventually it became pretty aligned, although it's still a yearning. You know, I'm still wondering if this is the best deployment of my talents and energy. But at this stage in life, it's a different ballgame when you turn 70 like I did last year. Uh, then you have these these other concerns um, that that hit you. Uh, and uh, it's still about calling and purpose, but in a different, in a different vein. You don't have life in, in front of you that much. Much of what you lived is behind you, and so you, you you do life review, and then you say, "What do I want to do with my time left?" What do you tell people, John? I often hear this. I want to know what my purpose is, and. And it's almost like they're sitting at a like at a railroad station, waiting for the right train to come that they're going to catch, mm -hmm. that's going to take them to the right destination. And they're almost kind of waiting for their purpose. 
to come to them. Uh, what, do you, what do you tell people uh, if, when they ask you that question, I want to find my purpose? Is there, a, is there a short response or even a long response that you give to people when they're seeking for their purpose in life? Maybe they're dissatisfied with their work or they're, you know, they're having some challenges in a personal relationship. What do you, what do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, yeah, well, I, I, I always support it big time, saying, boy, that's an important, it's an essential question. And uh, good, good for you that you're asking it, as opposed to uh, the, the ego satisfactions of money, power, sex, and rock and roll, you know, that, that, that it's a deeper question to ask for the, for the purpose piece, of course. It's, it's easy to get distracted in the culture of distraction. It puts all these, uh, t all this tinsel in front of us. Um, it's what's underneath the tinsel that matters. So I always support it. Then, of course, I see. I, I remember hearing many years ago a phrase that I, from I think my was her name, Marcia Sinatra. I think she wrote a book called uh, "Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow," which I think is way too optimistic. <laughs> I think I think you can do what you love, and some money will follow some of the time. It's not you know not necessarily. A, financial consideration, but I do think, of course, the more passionate you are, the more aligned you are, and if your talents and passions line up, you can make good money at it. If you're in a culture that supports what you're good at, <laughs> back, to, back to the comment I made before that, she had, she had an interesting phrase called levels of vocational integration. And I remember I came across that phrase, a little clumsy, not very poetic. Uh, I preferred the poetic side of things, but it was still a interesting thought about some people are more tuned in to their purpose and, have, and they've been at the question longer, or they had a lucky start. Uh, the lucky start thing is when someone is a, has great musical talent, for instance, just one example, uh, has great musical talent, and of course then they find that that, that gets uh, developed early on, and then they say, I want to I create beauty through sound, through music. <clears throat> well, that calling is sort of the ready-made, you know, for them, right for them that they found it early. And I've talked to people who were six years old and they wanted to be a doctor, for instance. <laughs> well, great for them, but I, I always worried more about the rest of us who didn't have that experience of an early calling that matched the real sense of my heart's desire and the talent I had. And instead, what, what about so, so many of us who get out in the world of work and and then end up saying, is this, is this what I'm really supposed to be doing? This is okay, but it's maybe not, maybe not enough. So I support the question. I, 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 I think to myself, how far along are they on this journey? Have they asked it for a long time? And then slowly move themselves like, like the great Rilke poem, you know, just to live yourself into the question. Or have they lived themselves towards that question little by slow? and gotten some degree of integration? Or is this a brand new question and they don't have a clue uh, and, and they're, they, they haven't thought about it? All they wanted to do is be a, whatever it was, a success or follow society's rules or do what their parents told them to do or whatever, you know? And so they're gonna have a longer journey usually, uh, the ones who are just starting. But the ones who've been at it for a while usually have made some progress and have found um, They've been attracted to the parts of their career or their job that 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 offers the most uh, 
connection to their calling and to their values. So they're farther along integrated on that levels of vocational integration. They're at a higher level, if you want to use that term, than the ones who are just starting. So I hope that helps a little bit, David, in terms of how I respond to that. Oh, it helps a lot. So I, I think if I'm getting you correctly here, it isn't a destination. It isn't like I got to get on the right train and then I'm good for the rest of my life. Now I'm living my calling. I'm on the right train. Uh, it's actually a method of travel. It's a, it's a process of inquiry that deepens your, what I would call your authentic presence by just asking the question as opposed to just reacting to what the world expects. We're actually asking the question. As you say, some people, well, first of all, did I hit that? Did I understand that correctly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I, you said it better than I in terms of what it is. It's, yeah, it's the journey, not the destination, and it's a process. Uh, and where are you on that process? But, um, yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I think you got it exactly right. Uh, it's, uh, it's the honest inquiry into what's, what's next for me, what should I be doing that, that makes those approximations towards something called a calling uh, uh, work, I think, David, yeah. And I, I, I experience some of those people who are so clear, which I am somewhat envious of if you're five years old and you know I am meant to be a physician or I am meant to be a teacher and you just know your life's work. Oftentimes, I often see those folks in their 40s and 50s who are now asking, now what? Who, who may feel as though for a time they lived what they believed to be their purpose. But I wonder, John, if there's something else going on here that it isn't necessarily a role that we get into that we're on the right purpose. It isn't that we've found the right job to be in that we can call it a vocation as much as that we have evolved into certain elements that we're called to be, that we're called to express in the world that just happen to come out in being a teacher. For example, you could be a teacher and feel very called to take an education, get an education degree, be a teacher in a, in a school, that you could take a business degree and start your own business and be, become an entrepreneur and build something, and it's very rewarding and it's very fulfilling, or that you go to medical school. But there's elements in that that run deeper than the role, so that if the role isn't there, if, for example, you get tired of teaching high school students English, for example, there's still a quality of teaching that says, maybe I need to express this, this purpose of teacher in, in a different role. So it isn't necessarily finding, if, if I'm also hearing you correctly, John, it isn't necessarily about finding the right role to be in to live our purpose, but to find the qualities within that role that express who you are and align yourself with those qualities. If you're a builder, for example, if what you have to do, I think of Abraham Maslow, who said an artist must paint, a poet must write, if they're ultimately to be at peace with themselves. Well, there's an element that we must do within us. Maybe it's building. Maybe it's, it's, it's helping. Maybe it's teaching that we must do as part of our calling. And we may go into several roles to express 
that essence of who we are. Any thoughts about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually believe what you said is true. It's multiple roles, and it shifts over time. So the, it's a mistake when people think of the big, the one big calling that they're going to have in their life. Uh, and I think that's a myth that got extended somehow across our society. Um, it's, it's not that easy. <clears throat> so you have to have multiple roles. And the, and the call to parenting, the call to work, uh, <clears throat> the call to some kind of artistic self-expression. <clears throat> but, but clearly it's a matter of what are my gifts what are my talents, and then how, how do I express them, how do I deploy them, and th those are the ways that we get closer to our calling. It shifts over time, we age, we mature, and so uh, that's, that's often a surprise for people who thought they had it figured out, and then realize, oh, that was just that, was just that chapter, and now there's another chapter coming. And to be less judgmental out of ourselves when we begin to, when we reach the end of a chapter, we can say, boy, what's wrong with me that I haven't got all this figured out? But in actuality, that's the door to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some, some of the chapters are easy. Some of it happens so naturally, it thinks like, you think like, oh, that was, that was good. But then the next chapter may be filled with blind, uh, you know, blind alleys and difficult difficult trials and may not feel like a calling at all. It may be one of those chapters of your life where there's more anxiety and suffering than, than there is a feeling of harmony, and that's part of the journey, too. So. Well, John, a big part of my work is that I take leaders away on a journey called the Other Everest, which is the, the notion of my work is that, and it's based on the premise of my most recent book, that we live in a world that that celebrates the next summit and the next height. We all know the highest point on the planet is Mount Everest, but what is less known is this sense that there's a, a Mariana Trench at more than 8,000 meters below sea level. It's virtually an inverted Everest. And my, my premise is that success isn't just about height, it's also about depth, and it's about going within ourselves. And I'd, I'd like you, if you could, John, to speak of your sense of what it takes, what has brought your depth? Because as I read your book, this did not come, the wisdom that came through in this book called Answering Your Call, the wisdom did not come, I'm going to guess, in a leadership training program or in a, in a book that you may have read. It came through your life and the depth of understanding yourself, of going into yourself, of exploring yourself. And I'm wondering if you could shine a light on some of your experience that has brought you to the depth that you have in your life. Were there some defining moments? You talked about being raised in a, in a religious family where you were you know, ingrained with some deep and enduring values that have lasted a lifetime, I suspect. Are there defining moments that you would call uh, influential in your life that's helped, helped shape you and make you who you are? Are there people who have influenced you? And also speak to us, if you would, about, I know about your past. 
and your philosophy of understanding and healing from your past, that's my word, not, maybe not yours, but I know you've written a more recent book on coming to grips with your past, and maybe you could just speak to the notion of where our, what, what, what the past holds for us in terms of unlocking our potential, finding our purpose, and maybe share some of your own experiences about that. Yeah, happy to, David. The, uh, yeah, I think you're right. The, there's, there's a certain cognitive part of the work, uh, the work of living your calling and living with purpose. And that, that is, you know, you, you need to think, you need to assess what you see out in the world. And, and I do think a, a certain amount of reading will help you there. And, and just experiencing mentor. Mentors are huge for most of us as they seem to be the embodied uh, the embodied sense of a purpose, of a person who's living uh, a purposeful life, and that's always both inspiring and instructive. It's often instructive too, because we say to ourselves when we're younger, "Oh, I can be like that." That's, there's something in there for me. So, uh, so the outside work is important, but the inside work is probably more important. That it's the part that's ignored the most by our culture of distraction and busyness and speed uh, and thinking. And so I'd rather go to emotions and slower times and slow people down to reflect on who they are and where they came from and and what, what that means. We have, we have a lot of amnesia in our culture, culturally induced amnesia because we're we're basically seen as economic units uh, by our culture. You know, mo mobile economic units go where the jobs are, go where the education is, uh, consume so much. And I don't want to be harsh. There's many beautiful, beautiful resources in our society. I'm not saying that there's not many people and many institutions and organizations and efforts that are worthy of us. But there's also this huge overriding culture of, consumption and, uh, and economic uh, reality. So, so the, the antidote to that, I was raised, uh, you know, and I told you the Catholic education piece, I was around Jesuits in college, I was around, you know, thoughtful, I, I kind of got the best of a lot of Catholic education, there's plenty of stuff that was troublesome too, and we know what that's, what, what trouble that institution is in now, but I hope they heal and keep going um, but the point is that whether you were raised around the faith or not whether you were raised around the arts and the humanities or not it's those kind of environments that cause reflection or that, that stimulate reflection in people and so poetry and literature I was an English major and read the great poets and romantic poets and all the others and that you know Henry David Thoreau and the rest that, that, that intellectual tradition in the West, primarily, I had to pick up my Eastern, uh, my Eastern cultures later. As an adult, chose to study a lot of that as well. But all that was about reflection, and all that was about making sense out of not only the history of the world. You try to get some sense of where we're going as a species, and then you say, where are we going right now in this country that I'm in? Who am I? What's my gender informing me about? What what being in in this? I had a friend tell me recently he was he's already won the lottery he said any white male born 
in World War II here in, in I'll just say United States, but let's say North America, they already won the lottery because in an expanding economy, uh, you know, with a good education, which is what uh, so many of us got, you know, how, how are you not going to win? So win, quote, at the, at the material side of things. So, uh, so life review is really important, David. Go back through your history. That's what this next book, Power of Your Past, is about, is go back and reflect and don't have amnesia. Don't just be forgetful of all that you've come from. What life stream did you emerge from? What life stream, life stream did you land in? Uh, and how do you make the most out of that in terms of how, where you can make a contribution? How can I contribute better to people's lives? Um, and that's, of course, the leadership question, I think, is what, what, what should I take responsibility for that's larger than me? Um, and uh, so I had lots of, good, lots of good support for all that and the leadership work I started to do in my little practice. Some 30-some years ago, I started my business when I was in my early 30s. And I just found a good, good time to do all this work and lots of good resources and mentors. But... Um, Life review is a big one. Go back and make sense out of your past, and don't be don't become captive to the wounds of your past. That's the healing part. Uh, instead, get informed. What have you forgotten that's positive from your past? I call that evocations. How are you evoked and and drawn out so that you could express yourself? And then, how are you compressed? What was it in the culture that either? atrophied one of your gifts or talents, which happened to me. Uh, I was musically inclined, but I didn't know when I was younger. I had to catch up much later on that. Um, many of us get skills and gifts that are atrophy, or, but worse, we get damage, we get negative stories. And of course, the worst damage is trauma. And so we have to work through our traumatic and damaged parts of our lives with the gifts that came forth. So it's both an evocation and a compression process. And the more you reflect on that, the more you can better express yourself in the world, but you can't do it without being conscious of all that. So what's your, what's your, what are your essential stories is one way I put it. Hope that helps. You have a, I'm gonna read a paragraph out of uh, your book answering your call. The resounding message from the great religions for millennia, millennia is, and from psychology more recently is the same, that humans aren't happy consuming and pursuing, and pursuing creature comforts, although many of us give it a good try. Only by discovering and then somehow creatively deploying our unique combination of gifts can we ever feel the deep satisfaction of a life well lived. You want to speak any more about that? I think you've already you, you've sure. already said it, but anything else you want to say sure. about that? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's the division. That's that's your opening question of why is purpose important, and it's about it's about meaning more than it is about happiness. Happiness is maybe more of a secondary result of pursuing meaning. And Carl Jung would always say, one of my hero psychologists would say, uh, you know, what, what are you here to incarnate? What are you here to embody? And uh, I love that notion that we all are here to do something that's uniquely ours. may not be spectacular, maybe very quiet, maybe small, but that's fine. It's not about bigness. It's about the quality of the human spirit. So uh, so what, what are we here to, uh, to somehow 
make happen in the world um, through our big and little efforts. And uh, and then I, I would add, rather than get ponderous about this, I'd also say, and have some fun. You know, what are we here to, where's the joy? How can we, if we're going to work this hard at it, we better also blow off some steam and have some fun and be silly. So that I have that old side of me too. <laughs> uh, it says enjoy all this. I, I, I have to ask you, I know we're winding down our time here, but I have to ask you, this notion of, uh, of doing, uh, you, 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 said, you made a statement that I completely concur with when you said it's a little optimistic to say if you do what you love, the money will follow. Could you respond to an artist's question who might be uh, enjoying art and living their calling with art but hasn't sorted out the business side of it, or a musician that really has a passion for music and plays music but hasn't sorted out the business side of it yet and is not able to, to make a, a living enough to even get by. Uh, how do you respond to the role of economics and business development in this world of calling? And what is the role of economics and learning how to create a business around this? There's a, it's a different set of skills to be a musician and then make a business of being a musician. And, and from my own experience, I know that uh, the, the business part of it is actually uh, connecting with my calling. It, you, it, it, be able to position this in the marketplace, position your passion and your gifts in the marketplace in a way that makes a difference. Uh, money, although I don't want to be driven by money, and I'm certainly less driven by money now that I have it, um, how do you reconcile this notion of, of uh, or reconcile, I, I don't even know if I'm asking the right question, but where does economics and business fit into this whole work of calling? And for some people, building a business might actually be their calling. That is their work, is to build a business and uh, to mentor others. But any, any response to that, if I'm asking that question, it's, it's inarticulate, but I'm, I'm doing the best I can to try to, try to touch something here. Yeah, no, you got you got the right question. Is where does where does your aspirational self and your practical self uh, where do they intersect in time and space? So we always have these these divine parts of us that are infinite that are uh, uh, you know where the where the, where we can dream and feel the that which is eternal within us, but. Um, it has to meet the world of time and space, and in our particular time, time and space in the West is a lot about, and not just the West, it's now around the economic reality of the world. It's uh, it's the marketplace. And uh, and so you have to come to grips with that, and, and um, how we do that, it seems to me that the, the, the tension between security and... Uh, and self-expression is a, is a, one of those great intersecting anxieties that many of us have to confront. That was me in my 20s and 30s. I had to make a living. I was a father. I wanted to make sure I couldn't just, uh, you know, decide, oh, I'm going to read, read poetry.
country somewhere, or you know, I had, to, I had so you're, you're faced with responsibilities. It was good for me. It was good for me to have a mortgage and to be in the real world because I had this big idealistic part of me that was willing to put all that down <laughs> instead of saying, "No, this is reality." So that that tension is real for many, many people, and they, and everybody has to answer it for themselves. How much risk do you want to take? So I watch these great musicians on the road doing these small venues for decades. You know, they want to live that life and and kind of have a modest life, and good for them. Uh, if others want to make it big and then decide I can't make it big, I'll, I'm going to make this an amateur. This is going to be part of my, my avocation, not my vocation. I'm not going to make a living at this, but I'll certainly can express myself. There's a lot of artists that, that have decided that's the way they're going to go. Uh, and and uh, there's very few, of course, that make it big athletically or make it big uh, in other ways uh, that are more about pure self-expression. Business may be the easiest and, and invite hundreds of thousands or millions of people into the, the wealth machine that's there, but that's not, then again, that's filled with shadow. You know, there's a bunch of shadow there in terms of what success is. So, so I just, again, in those coaching moments, as a, as a coach, David, I, I look at each person's life and try to help them, support them in how they're trying to address those questions and the basic thing is set up small experiments so you can take some steps ahead to see if you can get closer to your goal or will that experiment prove to not work out and you're going to have to go back to the drawing board and create another experiment. Um, so we're back to always asking that question, but um, so I think it's a good I think it's a good reality for us to have to face the practicality of all this. The problem is, is that we compare ourselves by the people who are visual in the society, the people who are visible. So we compare ourselves to the, to the very small percentage of actors that make it in on the Oscars, right? Or we compare ourselves to the, to the great business leaders, the, the Warren Buffetts who have made it to the top of their game, or the artists that have perhaps, or the musicians that have made it to the top of the game. Without understanding and remembering that there are, you know, that that's such a small percentage, and it's important. I think what you're saying is not to compare ourselves to that. There's nothing uh, disloble, disnoble. I don't think that's a word, but I'm using it as one to stay at home and uh, and raise kids uh, or make a living so that our families can be taken care of. As long as that we have this peace on our desk, this peace in our lives, in our life. If we're, if we're really meant to play music, that we can make time for that, whether we make that our primary vocation or not, and I love that notion of an avocation, express that away from your work, from your paid work, and that's every bit as noble, I'll say it that way, as it is to give up everything and go on the road and be a musician for 30 years um, and pay your dues that way before you can make it to the end. That's right. I think you're absolutely right on there. David. Yep. Well, the one quality I just have to ask you about, and it's, it's a, a bit of a paradox, because the one quality that I've expressed, that I've seen expressed from you just in our last uh, three quarters of an hour in this conversation, John, aside from your wisdom, is, is uh, your humility. And I would just love to know uh, your your story about how you 
would articulate your, your virtue of humility and how did that come into your life? And the paradox likely is that you would probably, I'm imagining, diminish my compliment around that because you're so humble, that you don't want to boast about being humble. Uh, it would be a bit of a, an oxymoron. So I would just love to hear if you have any thoughts about the development of humility, because I can tell you that it has exuded um, your, your, uh, your words today, from your words and from your presence, that quality of humility that I find in all leaders that I respect. Well, a couple thoughts on that. Um, yeah, it is hard to apply it to yourself because we all know how we get inflated very easily every uh, several times a week. You'll have a chance to uh, to not be humble and do instead get somehow identified with an accomplishment or somehow identify with something when you know. And, and basically, the, the one notion I think that most leaders get after, if they really hit, hit the higher reaches of leadership, it's um, it's what's it's it's the energies that are working through me that get the credit. It's not me. I'm the vehicle. I'm the conduit. But uh, if I if I get my ego out of the way, yet yet still step up, I have to bring my individual unique talent to the world and take on the responsibility that this time and space is asking me to do, but at the same time, it's not me doing it. It's some, something's working through me. Then of course, it's easier to both accept your, your, your poor judgments, which will lead to the mistakes from which we can learn, but they're not, they're not fatal mistakes because you're willing to learn. It's the best you could do at the time. And it's the, uh, and the things that happened, well, you, you take very little ownership for. You say, well, I'm glad I was helped support that. But one of my friends taught me a good coaching question a long time ago about, well, what's, what's trying to happen here? Isn't that a great question? What, what is trying to happen here? And when you ask that question, it's not what am I, what am I creating here? Or what, how am I making this better or great? It's what's trying to happen. Right? Can I help that happen some kind of way? So those are a couple of takes on it. David, so there's a power beyond ourselves. There's some kind of a force that we may not be able to understand, but somehow or other we're the conduit, and it's working through us in some way. Uh, yep, Love absolutely. that. Love that. Well, thank you for nourishing us all today. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's been a, an enriching conversation. John, is there anything else that you would like to ask or that you would like to share uh, in conclusion that I haven't asked you? Well, Mary Oliver died last month, so I should probably use a little poetic uh, tribute to Mary Oliver, who said, see, which of her poems, and, and one of the things I do is try to put some poems in in my memory, but here's one about when it's all over. I think this is about a calling. So she says, when it's all over, um, I, went to, I want them to say that I was a, I was a bride Married to amazement, I was a bridegroom holding the world in my arms. When it's all over, I don't want to find myself sighing or frightened or full of argument. I don't want to think that I've just been a visitor to this world. So thank you, Mary Oliver, for uh, reminding us of 
uh, how we need to stay amazed. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that forward today. Thank you very much. And thank you for nourishing us, John. Your wisdom, You're your welcome. humility, your presence has made a difference in my life today, and uh, I know it will with our listeners as well. Take good care of yourself, you, my good. friend.